everyone, and welcome to Risky Business's coverage of Ossert's 2011 conference here on the Gold Coast. I'm Patrick Gray. This coverage is brought to you by Microsoft, thanks to them. Uh, without Microsoft, we wouldn't be able to do all of this coverage uh, and uh, indeed hire Josh Bell, who's our sound recordist, who's been recording all of the presentations that we've been bringing you. Now, as a part of that sponsorship, Risky Business is posting a few sponsored podcasts, and this is one of them. It's an interview with Microsoft's identity specialist, Paul Conroy. In it, we discuss what enterprise customers out there are actually looking for in the form of uh, identity management, like how they're looking to improve their systems. Uh, And we also have a bit of a chat about SAML 2.0. It's an authentication protocol uh, that you can use, and I can't believe I'm about to say this, but you can use it in the cloud. There you go. I said cloud. I'm sorry. Uh, But listen to the interview. Uh, It'll make sense, and it's interesting. Uh, So here he is, Paul Conroy of Microsoft Australia, all about authentication and identity management. Okay, so first question, what's hip in ID management at the moment? Well, at the moment, customers are predominantly talking to us about identity management to manage users on-premise, but also on cloud-based assets as well. So essentially efficient ways so people can add new users to their directory, remove people when they leave the organisation, and they have one uh, identifier as they log on and they get access to all the applications they need to. So single sign-on, 20 years on and it's still hot, right? Yeah, it's one of the areas that people ask about. It's not the only area, but definitely people don't want to sign on to different applications using different credentials. People forget them. You have to, uh, password reset costs, um, usability concerns. So, yeah, if you can get one identifier to have people log on, then, yeah, it's a win-win for the business. Maybe 15 years, not 20, I should, uh, I should say. Now, you were, just before this interview, you were saying that uh, a big focus for people is actually making password reset procedures a little bit more efficient. Can you uh, tell us about that? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, no one likes to do password resets. So organisations find it expensive. You've got to pay someone to do that. IT staff don't like to do it because it's a pretty mundane task. People want to do more skilled work than just resetting someone's password, active directory password, for example. So what we have is a, a mechanism to allow users to reset their own passwords. So essentially on the Windows uh, logon page, uh, you can uh, deploy a piece of software which essentially has a link on the logon page. So when people come back from a long holiday, forget their password, they click on the link. It then prompts them for questions which uh, are personally known to people. So the first time they roll out the software or the first time they join the organisation, they're asked some personal questions, your uh, favourite ice cream flavour, colour of your first car, those kinds of things. So users are able to answer those questions, reset their password, that flows back to Active Directory, and you can connect to different uh, non-Microsoft directories from there, so that password then flows on, and you've successfully reset your password without a, um, without a help desk call. Now, that's probably the slightly less hip end of identity management uh, stuff at the moment. The more interesting stuff seems to be around a protocol called SAML. Uh, tell us about SAML. Yeah, so um, SAML 2.0 specifically is a standard in which uh, assets are able to be authenticated to and share those credentials. So you're able to, to log into your directory, so log on to Active Directory in a Microsoft example, and then you're able to uh, pick up those credentials and as long as the asset uh, complies to the SAML pro- protocol, then you're able to then pick up those credentials and log on to a cloud-based asset. So essentially it gives you single sign-on and to cloud-based assets at the moment, it's a hot topic. So yeah, SAML-compliant authentication services are, are quite interesting to a lot of people at the moment. 
So instead of someone coming in and setting up their own password and their own access to something like salesforce.com, I come in, I authenticate to a Windows server, and uh, bang, it authenticates a session out to Salesforce, for example. Yeah, exactly. As long as that organization's uh, applications uh, can absorb or consume a SAML token, then yeah, you're able to do it. In a Microsoft example, you're able to uh, authenticate to Office 365 or BPOS using Active Directory Federation services. So yeah, any organization, and you use the example of Salesforce, if they're able to consume a, a SAML token, then yeah, you can authenticate against uh, Active Directory and they're able to pick up that credential and use it. And the user doesn't know anything about it. They're just logging on to their applications, getting all their data, and it's all personalized based on their account. It's good. So uh, what if a user then wants to say, say they're a salesperson and then they then want to log in to their Salesforce app via a mobile application? I mean, does that complicate things somewhat if they have to actually go through the process of authenticating to an Active Directory server? Uh, essentially, if you're using uh, Active Directory Federation services, then you're going to have to authenticate against Active Directory to form that SAML token. So if someone's uh, only authenticating on their phone and they're not authenticating against AD, they're going to have to provide credentials. So you won't have just one way to authenticate against an application in a system, so you'd have multiple uh, methods. So one could just be the, the standard username and password. So what you'll have is people have to provide those credentials if they're coming from a, a mobile device. Uh, and then you have to look at the security posture to see whether you allow those credentials to be stored and all those kinds of things from there. So giving people multiple methods of authenticating to assets is a pretty standard way to get around that problem you spoke about. Now, um, a big thing lately has been, we, we had the Verizon data breach investigation report, you know, it's out every year, and every year the guys who put that one together say the same thing, which is that stolen credentials are a massive way that people get owned. Uh, it just, you know, all these uh, corporations are being popped because of stolen credentials, which makes using some form of two-factor authentication a complete no-brainer. It seems that the market just hasn't caught up to that. Is that your impression as well? Because just, it just seems that people aren't using it where they should be. Yeah, I'd say, uh, unfortunately, Australia is uh, somewhat of a laggard when it comes to two-factor authentication. So, for example, smart cards have been widely used in Europe for a number of years and haven't uh, gained the traction that they have in Australia. Unfortunately, a lot of organisations are too reactive. They, they wait until there's a data breach, they wait until there's a problem, and then they address it with two-factor authentication. So um, I don't think there's any excuse for that. People should be more proactive, look at their risk posture and do something to remediate it. Because there are a number of choices with two-factor authentication. You can use smart cards, you can do use one-time password tokens, you can use a, a token system that uses a, a, an open authentication method such as Oath. So you've got a, a wide range of choices Personally, I think smart cards are a great option. You don't have the problems of seeds for those devices getting lost. The private keys are kept on the device in a secure format. In many cases, they're generated actually on the smart card, so you have no central place. So smart cards are a great option. And smart card authentication into Windows has been uh, there for a long time, and especially with Windows 7, the improvements of, of being able to simply log in. With a smart card, just type in your PIN. You don't even have to remember your credentials. That's saved on the smart card. It's, uh, it's something that we advocate, and we wish more people would use it in Australia. It's funny, though, because we had a chat yesterday to one of the, uh, one of the guys who did a presentation on the Queensland smart card licence. And one of the problems with using smart cards in an environment like Australia is that they're actually designed, it's certainly in the case of uh, contact smart cards, not contactless smart cards, they're designed for European environmental conditions, which means that if you're using them in Brisbane, 
quite often they go rusty and they don't work very well. Is this something that you guys have experienced as well? Uh, it's something we haven't personally experienced. Again, like we're a software company, so we, we don't create... I, I just mean, like, if customers have come back to you and, and, and expressed that as being a concern. Uh, no, so I haven't run into it. Like, we have customers who use it uh, quite pervasively, uh, especially in the healthcare sector, so people want to be able to use... Uh, secure forms of authentication and we haven't run into people who have a lot of physical card issues um, any hardware device there's going to be certain environmental concerns um, I, I'm aware of uh, national government departments who have a second factor authentication credential and there's problems with the extreme heat within Australia, the damp conditions up in places like the Northern Territory so any hardware you're going to have some issues to deal with. Uh, personally I think smart cards is, is a it's a very small problem because there aren't moving parts. It's a, it's a contact device. But if you've seen people with rust issues, then I'm sure it exists somewhere. <laughs> um, one thing I wanted to ask you too is that, uh, you know, it seems that the next versions of like Android devices and perhaps iPhones and stuff, they're going to have NFC capabilities in those devices. Now, uh, is that something that Microsoft is looking at in terms of when everyone's walking around with a near-field communications device in their pocket. I mean, it would seem sensible to try to integrate that NFC device as a second factor in a company's, you know, authentication uh, solution. Is that something you guys are looking at? It's something I'm personally not aware of. Um, I'm very interested in the near-field communication area, and I think there's a lot of uh, interesting developments for small payments, for example, but personally, unfortunately, I'm not aware of any, any work that's being done. Not to say that it's not being done, I'm just, I just don't know about it. But it would make sense, wouldn't it, uh, that if all of your staff are walking in and out with a near-field communication device, you'd just use that particular device as, as a second factor? Yeah, I think it does make sense. There's obviously concerns about security, um, not being able to spoof that particular device. Uh, I mean, they're all achievable problems that have to be addressed, but I don't see that as being a problem. But again, yeah, I just don't have a personal visibility on anything that we're doing in that area. Okay, Paul Conroy, thank you very much. Thanks a lot.